Welcome to the Big Beatles Sort Out. In the first series, I, author and musician Gary Abbott, ranked all the Beatles' core catalogue releases with the help of my Beatles expert brother Paul. In series two, we worked our way through an assortment of added Beatles goodies, such as Live at the BBC, the anthology series and the movies. And now for series three, we're looking at all the post-Beatles singles released in the decade following their breakup. As with series one, we take five songs in random order each week and score them for music production and lyrics to find the best post-Beatles Beatles hits. Thanks for joining us as we try and sort out the Beatles. Welcome to series three, episode twenty-five, and welcome to Paul Abbott. Oh, I was I was abbreviated in, in my introduction. Hello, everyone, and um, are you all right, Gary? You uh, are a little throaty. Aren't I sound you? a bit husky, don't I? Yes, I have been suffering with a tickle that has moved in to my throat and decided not to leave. For oh dear! Well over a week now, so. Um, <clears throat> so you may hear a bit of that, a bit of a hemming and coughing. I'll try my best not to, but um, we'll get through. We'll get through. Somehow we'll struggle along. Are you all right? I'm okay, thank you very much. Yes, I'm relatively fine compared to you anyway. <laughs> Good. <laughs> okay, um, let me croak through the um, the usuals. Don't forget you can keep in touch with us at big underscore sort on Twitter and Instagram or by email to bigbeetlesortout at gmail.com. And do please drop us a review on whatever platform you're listening on, if you can. And like and share our posts and generally keep in touch and let us know you're out there. A lot of you do, and we always appreciate it. Please check the episode description for links to our various music and other projects. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've said all that. Yes. Um, yeah, so back to a normal week. Thank you for sharing your episode with us for last week, Paul, whilst I was off on the holes. I hope everyone enjoyed it. It was me talking to Chris Shaw about uh, a single from 1967 by Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it was something a little different from the archives of a different podcast. So there you go. Yes, good. Well, I think it's um, very suitable and, and adjacent, isn't it? Certainly so, uh, is. Yes. Certainly is a different way to look at uh, the middle of the, uh, you know, the 1967, uh, otherwise very... Sergeant Pepper focused year. Yeah, it from a different perspective. I remember listening to it first time round, and obviously having the, um, the the great Chris Shaw on as a as a guest is extremely Beatles adjacent, isn't it? Yes, indeed yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, okay. Well then, um, is there anything Beatlesy before we look at this Beatles day, Paul? Anything else? Uh, well, the only other Beatlesy thing I'm going to mention during this on this Beatles day. Mm. Oh, okay. So we'll save it for that then. Yes. Oh right. Well. Then let's do it on this Beatles Day, which should be the 17th of April. Indeed, and I've chosen the 17th of April, 1963, which is the band's first concert in Luton, which is a town in Bedfordshire, Mm. if you don't know. It's very famous in this country for being a place where an airport is. Mm. Uh, But this is the Beatles' only show in Luton at the Majestic Ballroom. Right. They did play other shows, I think, in Luton, but not at the Majestic. But I, I partly chose this because I love the concept of Luton and the words Majestic Ballroom <laughs> Luton. Yeah, at the end yeah, it, it. Doesn't, it doesn't have the gravitas, does it? No, but um, there was, I think there was quite a lot of Majestic Ballrooms. I think it was a chain around the country. But also, the Beatles news that has happened in the week leading up to this happening, mm. this recording that we're doing now, is that... The news came out that a uh, friend of the egg pod and many other things, Samira Ahmed, yes. had discovered this tape from Stowe School or Stow School. I can't remember how it's pronounced. 
because there's lots of places called Stow and Stow and they pronounce them differently depending on where you are. And I keep forgetting to check. But anyway, that was a concert on the 4th of April 1963, which was given to a bunch of school kids, essentially, in this private school. And mm. the shock was that Samira discovered that one of the guys had actually taped it. Mm. And not only had she taped it, uh, she, not only had he taped it, mm. but it was also a long concert. It was like an hour-long concert. Ooh. Whereas at this point, they're starting to just do the usual half hour, mm. which gradually shrinks down to like 25 minutes max. And of course, it's sort of being, it's being billed as sort of the last time they could hear themselves play live because a bunch of well-behaved preppy schoolboys yeah. um, is very different from the normal audience they were playing to. But I don't think that's strictly true, you know, um, that they couldn't hear themselves play in any other gig after that. <coughs> but, you know, it it is a special occasion and we are very lucky that, that something new has turned up from Beatles land. Oh, and yeah. uh, hopefully we'll we'll get to hear more of that in the future in some way, depending on what happens to the tapes and stuff. But anyway, the reason I'm mentioning that in, on this Beatles day is because that happened on the 4th of April. This is the 17th of April, 1963. Mm. And according to the fantastic book, The Beatles 1963, by Daffod Reese, who I've talked about before, this show in Luton wasn't sold out. And so there was only 250 people there. All right. So I can't imagine that even at full tilt, that they wouldn't be able to hear themselves on that. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. And apparently it wasn't mad outside. They didn't have any real fuss getting in or out, you know. Okay, so you think they heard themselves a good week later. Yeah, a week or two later, they were they pushing, were playing to pushing not enough that boundary of when they could last hear themselves. Yeah, yeah. No. I mean, if I was going to get technical about it, there was definitely a show in America where someone provided them with a monitoring system, and they were like, "What? We, we can, can hear, hear ourselves in yeah. a stadium? Can yeah. we take this on tour?" And the guy went, "No, I've got a job here." Yeah. Um, but you know, technically, yes, I think the the Stow School Stow School thing is amazing and unique and it's a long yeah. show and it plays lots of stuff um whereas this is just a standard show i mean in fact the, the set list for this exists mm. written out by paul mccartney and it's quite a rare thing that this exists because not many ha set lists written by the beatles themselves actually exist most of them are by mal or neil right um and so there was like it was auctioned this set list with a with a signed postcard from the band mm. with like an estimated sale price of 150 to 200 thousand dollars gosh but that was last year, and I cannot find a sold price. So I wonder if actually it didn't end up being sold. You know, it might have been too much. Mm. But yeah, uh, so they played. Uh, I saw her standing there. Shot of rhythm and blues. Do you want to know a secret? Beautiful dreamer, Anna. Thank you, girl. If you're going to make a fool of somebody, which is my holy grail of, mm. I wish someone would find a tape of them playing that. Uh, Sweet little sixteen. From me to you. Long tall Sally and. Um, Probably Twist and Shout as well. Some people have commented that even though that's not written on the list, they probably played that. I mean, they finished lots of shows with Twist and yeah. Shout. Uh, but, I mean, From Me to You had only come out on the 11th of April. Right. And Thank You Girl was on the B-side, obviously. So they were playing their most recent single at this this show in uh, right. in Luton. Um, but, yeah, I just thought it was interesting because, yeah, 250 people is... You know, these theatres aren't massive, these yeah. ballrooms, but they're much bigger than 250 people's worth. So mm. unless they were the 250 loudest people in Luton, <laughs> you know, they probably could have heard themselves. Yeah. So there you go. Very good. And, and we, uh, if you do go online, I will say this, yeah. if you do go online and look for the Beatles at Majestic Ballroom Luton and you see a photo labelled, here's, here's a people queuing for the 
Beatles at uh, the Majestic Ballroom, Luton, because yeah. there is a couple out there. The clue with that photograph is, A, only 250 people attended, so there was no queues for tickets. Right. And B, in that photo, there's someone holding a sign that says, Welcome Home, Beatles. And uh, the Beatles did not live in Luton. They didn't live in Luton. Even <laughs> even now, I know that. Yes, well, I think after most all these years, yeah. you figured it out. Yeah. But yeah, it was actually the Majestic Ballroom in Birkenhead, but it's on the internet being mislabeled out there. So Misinformation wanna... on the internet. It does happen, me. apparently. I just, you know, I was as shocked as anyone else. Unbelievable. Um, and we should also mention that we we will be seeing Chris Shaw, Samira, Ahmed, David Quantic, and yes, um, final person Stuart, Stuart McConey, and not the final person. The no. final person is Mark Lewison. A Mark Lewison. Because we're going to go down to the live egg pod. Yeah, we're going to be there. In a couple of months. So if you're there and you see two people who look quite a lot like each other sitting next to each other, I guess that's us. (laughs) I imagine we'll be sat next to each other. Yeah, it would be weird if we weren't. Um, Come and say hello. Um, Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so that should be good. Especially as I think between David Quantic and Chris Shaw, two of the people who made me, not made me, I've never spoke to him, but uh, inspired me to do this. Because well, I was one listening to Eggpod and reading Revolution. And I thought, oh, you can just have your own opinion about the Beatles and not have to be a big scholar or someone who knew them. And that was kind of what combined in my head to say, well, how could I do that with Paul? But differently. It's their fault. Yeah. So, okay then, let's get on with the first song from this week, which is Let Em In, Wings. Someone's knocking at the door. Somebody ringing the bell Someone's knocking at the door Somebody's ringing the bell Do me a favor Open the door I let them in Yeah Let them in Let them in, Paul uh, well, if I do, they'll make a noise in the background. There's so many of them. Um, mm. Yeah. Right. Well, this is a very well-known single, not least at the moment in this country, because it's it was the music on the um, postcode lottery adverts. Oh, yeah. So if you watch commercial television, you will have heard this being done in a cover version over and over again. Yeah. Yes. So Let Em In is a single by Wings. The B-side was Beware My Love comes out on the 23rd of July 1976 on Parlophone. Um, it gets to number two in the charts. Mm. Stays in the charts for 10 weeks. Comes from the Wings at the Speed of Sound album. Recorded in Abbey Road on the 3rd of February 1976 with some overdubs on the 19th. Mm-hmm. Written by Paul and Linda and produced by Paul. And I'd say this is a fairly well-known little yeah. McCartney number, wouldn't you? Well, I'd say so, yeah. It's one that when I was talking to my wife about it, she said, what have you, you know, what ones have you had this week? And I said, let them in. And she was like, I don't know what that is. And then I sang it for a second and she went, oh yeah. So that, that's yeah. the kind of level. Um, Non-Beatles people, I think, would know it from hearing it, if not from the name. Yeah, it, it's certainly got a vibe kind of all to itself, really. I think, yeah. given all the various types of things that McCartney does. In fact, we've got a couple of McCartneys this week that have vibes all to themselves. Mm. Um and yeah, it's it's sort of weird. It's a lot weirder when you actually think about it than than it, it might seem at first, given it's sort of 
I don't want to say playful is not the word. It's sort of personal lyrics and stuff like that in mm. a strange way. It's it's an odd song, really. Okay. And it's, it's odd for a single, but it was clearly popular because it got to number two. Well, let's get into it then and start with mm-hmm. the music. So we start with, now I'm going to get this wrong because it's not Big Ben. It's the, we, We've talked about this before. We the, have, yeah. The good old, I can't remember what it was because I've got a terrible memory, Paul. Remind me, the, what is the... Da, 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 is? Well, it's it's clearly a tribute to George's Ding Dong Ding Dong. Oh, yeah, of course it? it's Ding Dong Ding Dong. <laughs> that's, why, uh, yeah, that's why we talked yeah. about it before, didn't we? Indeed, it's, it's what's called the Westminster Quarters. Yeah. And but the actual the sound of it on this recording, I believe, is from a doorbell that somebody bought, Paul. Oh. So it's actually the recording of his doorbell going bing, bong, bing. Oh, I thought it was like a Glock. A clock and spiel or a xylophone or something. But so it's a little, no, it's a little uh, Westminster quarters. So it's actually a, a doorbell to introduce this song about people coming, coming through in, the door. Coming in, which makes sense now. I didn't I hadn't made that connection. But I, I have to say, <laughs> when I brought it up on the um, screen, the first thing that I noticed actually was the the running time at five minutes 11. I thought, yes, I mean, I like is. it, but if, if, if that's a, a long song. It is long. It is much longer than I thought it was as well. And there was a, a three minutes, 42 seconds edit made up for promo purposes. Right. But yeah, the single's like five minutes, 10 seconds it long. It's, and, and it's just nuts for a song that's got like two sections in it. Yeah. And about and about four <clears> chords. <throat> yeah, which I was, uh, which is what I was going to get onto is, well, I'll get onto that later, but basically, yeah, it, it, it does seem like rather a length. But anyway, going through it more in linear fashion, we start with... Um, that underpinning octave piano bass note, you know, there's this, it's one of these, he sets a kind of tone for it, doesn't he? Which, which yeah. gives it a very distinct sound, which is the, the bass notes going up in octaves in the, in the, in the piano and the electric bass backing that up on the root note and not moving while the chords shift. So you've got that kind of underpinning bass drone note creates a kind of suspenseful atmospheric feeling of its own. Uh, yeah. Uh, when, you have, when you have a, a low note that doesn't move while the chords move above it. I mean, the chords don't move much here. They, they're still sort yeah, of no. chords around, but, yeah. around one chord. They just moves like one note of the chord around yeah. a bit to get the effect. Uh, we should say, actually, look, just do the line up on this. So it's Paul oh, yeah. on, pia- on piano and vocals, obviously. Linda doing some vocals. Denny Lane doing vocals and apparently playing the military snare that you hear throughout oh, this. Right, yeah. Uh, Jimmy McCulloch, not playing guitar, but playing bass. Okay. Uh, Joe English on drums. And then you have Howie Casey on sax, Thaddeus Richard on flute and flugelhorn, Steve Howard on flugelhorn, and Tony Dorsey on trombone, which does the solo in this song. Ah, so. uh, okay. So good. So when, when they do move from that root note and the bass thing, the, it has that effect that it has... It, it, it becomes quite a, f- a big effect, doesn't it? Because you've suddenly got... Yeah, it movement. releases the tension that it they've does, built up. It does, it yeah. does. And you get a bit more like, hey, we're off kind of feel, which is what they do for the Sister Susie sections. Um, you know, the, yeah. well, there's, there's a bit more impact there. That It doesn't really change that much. It only moves to the second chord. Um, and uh, overall that, we have McCartney's Melody, which is one of his classics, which is further taken on and kind of advanced and played around with by instrumental bridges by the horns or you know it, it, it gets it it becomes an instrumental doesn't it the melodic the melody part you know um yeah so yeah but other than that it's layers that are getting added and taken away to keep this going for five minutes you know we get extra horn riffs answering the melody here and there you get back in vocal starting to kind of do oohs and ahs and come over it and um and then is it what's the is it flute going? Do, 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 yeah, do, so do, the do. little flute parts on top. Yeah. yeah, and the military snares you just said coming in and out in places. So, 
somehow, even though I looked at that and thought oh, five minutes eleven, I, I, I didn't feel like it. it, it it's one way I, I think somehow, even though it is really simple and it is the same two sections just repeated, there's nothing else in it. Um, and it doesn't like it's not like they come in and out to build up. They just kind of it's like a sequence symphony in the sense that you know. Well, we'll have the snare now. No, we won't have the snare. Now we'll have the bit of the horns. Now we'll have the horns and the snare. Now we'll just have the horns. You yeah, know, so you could the... write this on a chart very easily, yeah. couldn't you? Like, you could just do it with colours. Like it just seems a, to get... A timeline. Yeah, like a Gantt chart. <laughs> 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 I, just, I just had You my... found it secret. <laughs> it uses Monday.com to write it. Yeah, oh gosh. It's just my two worlds of um, work and and this just collided in my head and I didn't like it. Um, yeah, it seems to keep it going for the four or five minutes. Um, I, didn't, I didn't feel it dragged at all. Um, yeah, I like it. Uh, 80.5 I've given it for music. So apparently it was written partly with Ringo in mind as one of the things he might have given Ringo. So he writes Did a him. couple of songs. He writes this and he writes a song called Pure Gold and then he decides to keep this one and he gives Ringo Pure Gold, which I think is on... Rotogravure, possibly. Right. I, I need to ask you this question, though. How do you feel about Paul's pronunciation of the word door as door? <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Maybe oh, cough. it's killed you. Um, I, I, it doesn't annoy me as much as some of his other pronunciations we've had in other songs. Um, a no, 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 no is one that <laughs> springs to mind. No, I don't mind it because he's singing it in his... He's doing his little funny country accent isn't he his little man he's doing a strange voice he's doing a bit of a rocky raccoony type of thing yeah and his position in relation to the microphone is part of how he gets that effect i think so yeah he's very sort of he's not like he's stood back rocking out super loud he's um sort of on the microphone uh, yeah um we haven't had a bit of asmr for a no that's not this isn't the episode for it um so production then the resonance of the octave piano notes plays a huge part in the production of this i mean that is I think I'd be right in saying that the sustained pedal is firmly held down as it to give the echo on the piano chamber, which is allowing it to kind of create a kind of a nice uh, backdrop to everything. Um, I don't quite get the scratchy build-up to the military drums. What's going on there? There's like, before the military drums come in, there's kind of like like a key running down piano strings type of sound, which isn't necessarily pleasant, and then it becomes the Is it drums? supposed to be a creaking door? There are sound effects throughout, sort of like here and there, like door sound effects. So I think oh, it's supposed to be a creaking door. Sounds like I just thought it was someone scraping. A Welcome key to McCartney Manor. And it's, and it's a drummer walking in. Yeah. Is that the idea? Because it does happen just before every time the drum comes in. So I guess maybe. That, yeah, now you've said that, it gives it a different context. You know, um, He's dropped all these hints that it's about people coming into a room <laughs> through a door. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, to be considering, I didn't really pick up on the doorbell bit at the beginning. I, <laughs> um, but the flutes and horns and everything sit nicely over it. Paul's voice is great and placed lovely in the mix. As usual, yes. the wings' harmonies are tight and dreamy in the mix. I'd say uh, the Who outro knows? is abrupt, but it's only very brief. I don't quite like. You know, it fades down and it lasts. It's very it's weird. Good. A fade to almost nothing, and then two chords. Yeah, it, it seems like an afterthought of a weird thing. But um, but I think it's. It does have its, it has its sound that, that it's got a personality which always gives it lots of marks in my mind when a song has its own personality that's been achieved by the, the yeah, combination of the instruments. Very the much mix. its own vibe. Yes, yeah, so I give it eighty-seven point five for production. Uh, the things I've noted in there particularly are uh, the trombone solo appears to either be double tracked or they've used artificial double tracking on it, so it doesn't just sound like pure trombone. Mm. It's, it's, if you listen carefully, it's definitely something going on. 
yeah. and that the thing I was trying to figure out today desperately was as it as it fades, you can hear in the background like weird speaking sounds throughout, and it's panning around mm. the headphones. I was trying to isolate it and try to work out what it was. It sounds like someone doing a fake station, like train station announcement. Right. Because I'm sure I hear the phrase something, something, platform 13, blah, blah, but it just doesn't make any sense. It's got nothing to do with anything. Yeah. Because no. there's all this sort of off-mic singing as well. You know, you can sort of hear him in the background singing along, but then there's also this thing, and it is being mixed to move around the headphones as well, which right. is odd. So if anyone... I couldn't find anyone talking about it online, so if anyone knows... Or has any evidence as to what actually is going on when it's oh, called? Maybe you're the only person hearing that. This could be a bad oh, way to no, find oh, out. No. I didn't know. I didn't pick up on that. But do you hear this on all songs? Um, I hear it now. Oh, right. Okay. Let's move on to lyrics. Uh, it's definitely not in there in the lyrics, is it? So, no. I mean, lyrics-wise, I always do this thing when I do my prep for this, is I copy over the lyrics from whatever internet search I've needed to do onto the document, and I always strip out repetition, so I've just got them easy to hand to look at on my notes uh and then I, with this one it's one of those ones where you knock it back and back and back and you go oh there's only actually two bits in this there's yeah there's a couple of m- minor variations in the na- list of names okay well that's that's interesting then i've probably skimmed over them and because i've got just the someone's knocking at the door someone's ringing the bell do me a favor open the door and let them in that's minus repetitions obviously Sister Susie, Brother John, Martin Luther, Phil and Don, Brother Michael, Auntie Jin, open the door and let him in. Hey. Oh. That's, I mean, that's it. So there's actually only two sections lyrically. What are the, what are the minor variations? Are they? So it's, it's basically in the list of names, which has fueled so much speculation. Mm. And I've got the lyric, Paul McCartney's lyrics book in front of me here as well, okay. where he talks about this, mm-hmm. which should, should in theory put it to bed, but you'll know there'll be people saying he's wrong. Well, yeah. Um, so, Sister Susie, Brother John, Martin Luther, Phil and Don, Brother Michael, Auntie Jin, open the door and let him in. Yeah. And then there's one where it's Sister Susie, Brother John, Martin Luther, Phil and Don, Uncle Ernie, Uncle Ian, open the door and let him in. Ian, let uh, me so in. <laughs> let Ian's in. Let Ian's in, yeah, okay. Don't leave Ian's out in the cold. And so, let's go through this quickly, according to Paul McCartney. Mm-hmm. Sister Susie, well... That's a reference to Linda because apparently when they were abroad one time in Jamaica, a nickname for white blonde women in in Jamaica is apparently Susie. And this is where Linda's sort of side project, Susie and the Red Stripes, gets its name from. Right. So obviously Linda isn't his sister, but Sister Susie is then related to Brother John and her brother was John Eastman. Right, okay. Although he does say it could be John Lennon. Yeah. Well... Is it? But, uh, then Martin Luther okay. is, he says, is a re- reference to Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. But of course, everyone's like, well, is he talking about Martin Luther nailing his Protestant uh, doctrine up to the church door in whatever year it was in the past? And he does mention that in here because that's like. And then some people somewhere else are saying that a nickname for John in the band was like, they called him John Martin Luther Lennon, but no. Mm. Paul doesn't say that. Phil and Don, the Everly Brothers. Okay, yeah. Okay. Brother Michael, that's pretty obvious. <coughs> it's his brother, Michael. I knew that one. Yeah. Auntie Jin is Paul's auntie, who was nicknamed Jin. Yeah. Okay. So who are uh, the Ian's then? Oh, well, the Ernie's and the Ian's. Ernie and Ernie, yeah. Well, Uncle Ernie, that's a thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so 
Uncle Ernie. Well, I mean, the first place you think of Uncle Ernie if you listen to sort of 60s music is it's Uncle Ernie from um, Tommy by The Who. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uncle Ernie's holiday Yeah, Keith Moon plays him in the film, and then Ringo played him on stage in the early 70s. Oh, right. Oh. But um, apparently um, his cousin, Paul's cousin Ian, was also sometimes called Ern. Right. So, but he's not his uncle, he's his cousin. Yeah. And so they've got this Uncle Ernie, Uncle Ian thing. And it's like, well, is it... The, do you mean Cousin Ian? Have you just gone mad? I tell you what, it's it's fascinating, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's just... But Listening of course, everyone's... Spe- going to get... Possibly get some names of people wrong, mixed up, and just be like, yeah. I don't know, whatever. But it's it's one of these things. It's it's you know it's family. It's it's about it's sort of like oh yeah, it's they're like coming v- round for a party. It's like you know, Vera, Chuck and da- Vera Chuck and Dave, isn't it? It's just some names as well. It's just names that fit in. For- well, it is to the listener because yeah. you know they're not our aunties and brothers and stuff like that. No. It's it's like it's the concept. So yes, so yeah. But I mean, the main verse or whatever you call it, I don't know which one's which really. But the, someone's knocking at the door is, you know. A nice message, welcoming, acceptance, just niceness, I think. Always take, you know, I always took this one as being a universal, come on, let them in. And then you have the kind of more hyper-specific kind of family members to specific to him. But I don't think that really matters because it is more of a kind of, you know, you know. Yeah, because well, of he's, always on about, he's always friends. on about McCartney family yeah. parties and stuff like that, you know. In brief. It's a big it, part of his life. It Yeah, it's, it's a brief but positive song and even more astounding that it seems to keep interest for five minutes with barely four or five unique lines in it but it is brief there's not much to it so i'm just going to give it 76 for lyrics which gives it 81.3 overall hmm hmm so next paul we have the no no song ringo star a woman that i know just came from mallorca spain she smiled because i did not understand No, no song, Paul. Yes, yes, song, Gary. We just listened to it. Oh. No. No? No. Oh. No. Song. Well, right. Let's get into this. No, no song by Ringo Starr is the B-side to his single Oh My My, ah. which does not chart. And so, so you've got Oh My My, no, no song. Nice. So it comes out on the 9th of January 1976 in the UK on Apple. Doesn't chart. The interesting thing is, though, it was released in 1975 as the lead, as the A-side of a single right. in America and um, Canada and stuff. And it gets to number one in the cash box charts in America. Okay. <laughs> and number three in the billboard charts. But the single Oh My My, backed with No No Song, does nothing in the UK. Okay. So it does well in America when it's promoting Goodnight Vienna, the album. The release in the UK is done to support Blast From Your Past, which was a compilation. Yeah. If that makes sense. I think so. Right. It's recorded at Sunset Sound and Producers Workshop between May and October 1974. Um, and they have horn overdubs on the 18th of September 1974 at Sunset Sound. Produced by Richard Perry, but it was written by Hoyt Axton and David Jackson for Ringo. Mm. And it's a funny little number. 
It is a funny little number, isn't I'll, it? I'll give you the uh, the breakdown of the players. It's Ringo on vocals, drums and percussion. Uh, Nilsson doing all the backing vocals, as he so often yeah. did. Nicky Hopkins on that nice electric piano. Jesse Ed Davies on electric guitars. Klaus on bass. Trevor Lawrence on horns. Bobby Keys on horns. So only Ringo drumming on this one. Ah, uh, he's, he's, he's trusted himself. Yeah. Good on him. So, so uh, just roll back a little bit. Roll back. Who, 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 who wrote it for him? Hoyt Axton and uh, David Jackson. And it was written for, pa, for Ringo. For, for Mr. Richard Starkey. Yes, good. Just wanted to check that. So this one, when I put it on the screen, is like, oh, only two and a half minutes. Now, is that going to be a good or a bad thing? We shall see. Um, but it did. It made me smile, this song. It's a little ditty, shall we say, uh, in the kind of Caribbean feel style. It's got a, yeah, it's got a sort of islandy sort of feel going on to it. It's it's a it's certain all, sound yeah. that crops up in a bit of quite a bit of seventies pop. Yeah, it's almost obladila, obladila. It's almost obladila. I can't do it. Obladila. There's not a word in there. No, yeah, obladila-like in its rendering. It's got yeah, that yeah. kind of like. It's got a bounce to it. It's got a bouncy feel, with and it's got a catchy little chorus and verses. Yeah, sort of semi-scar feel to yeah. it, around the edges. A bit lime in the coconut, that kind of, all that kind of, like, mm-hmm. tropical, islandy feel, like, kind of thing. Um, and this was my, my very first time hearing this, and I wasn't expecting it to be so frank, but we'll get onto that in the lyrics. Um, but I quite like his singing on this. I, 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 thought, I, thought, I thought he was doing a kind of a, fake caribbean accent it does start out that way which is always a bit of a worry but almost every white singer in the 70s did and you know mccartney's note is another case in point he's he's done that yeah but yeah i'm not uh, accented singing is always an odd thing to try and listen to it the second time round, and it it, It it doesn't seem as bad after you first noticed no i think it's more that he's singing a staccato kind kind of way of he's kind of going he's singing it very like staccato, I should say, not staccato. I don't know why I said that. Um, Were you doing which, an accent? Which means that he kind of, it sounds a bit like he's clipping it and maybe clipping his words on purpose to make them sound a certain way. But I, I think it's more how he's just singing it. And he, he moves into a smooth kind of normal, a different kind of way of singing into the choruses, which is backed with all those Nielsen soft backing vocals. I think he's doing quite a good job of this singing-wise, actually. <laughs> I think he is as well, yeah. 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 It's, it's, Given it's, it's a very silly... Yeah, in, in some ways, in some ways it's silly. In other ways, it's a bit. Mm. But, but yeah, we'll get onto the content of the the words. But actually, musically and in terms of it suiting his voice, mm, not yeah, bad, not bad. I like the general feel of the band. The bass is nice and boppy and works nicely with the organ. The horns are really great in this, and the little slide guitar bits in the Tennessee verse are fun. Yeah, it's well, they good... use they use little representative things for in two verses. So in. In the bit where he ref- refers to Tennessee, they have the, sl- the sort of yeah. country slide guitar sound. And in the verse where they refer to Spain, they have maracas uh-huh. as very well. Nicely, very nicely said, Paul. Oh, thank you. Which is a little sort of what you'd I call can, I, a genre synecdoche for, you know, a musical representation of a um, place or thing. I was just going to say, I can't roll my R's. Well, that's because you sat down. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the, the rhythm is great and... and toe-tappingy kind of little quirky dancey thing and all those little percussion bits that you just said are also good i like the little jokey shouty bits it sounds like there's fun having been had in the studio 
So, yeah, I've given it a kind of a fun 77.5. That's a fun number, isn't it, Paul? 77.5. That's a lot of fun, that number. That's a fun number. Yeah, so I've yeah. given it 77.5 for music. Um, yeah, I, well, I think it's not bad. I like the electric piano from Nicky Hopkins being the main sort of chordal instrument in it as well, because yeah. it's a really nice tone on that he's got on that. And I should say, one thing I've learned, and will probably won't do, because I'm, I always forget to do the things I think I will, from all of the Ringo stuff, I quite like the Nielsen backing vocals. I'm quite interested in hearing more of his stuff because I can't say I've really heard. Well, he's a phenomenal vocalist, Harry yeah. Nilsson. And um, I know yeah, some of his, stuff, some of his albums are just uh, superb. I need to go and listen to some properly rather than just know he's a person who exists and never And hung around with uh, Ringo and John when they were yeah. both very, very drunk for several years. Exactly. Right then, Production. I've got very little to say on production because it's mainly for all the reasons we talked about in the music that I think is produced well. I yeah, think it's it, solid. Yeah, it captures the vibe of the style they're going for. It's got lots of fun bits in there, nothing to complain about really, and I like its personality a lot. So I'm giving it 83.5 production. I think it's a, it's good. It's, if, if you wanted a song to sound like, well, I want it to sound fun, kind of, you know, yeah. holiday, Caribbean, do-do-do. Um, I what, think, yeah, yeah, I, I, like I say, there's quite a few sort of 70s songs that do sound like that. But the drum sounds good on it, and it's just Ringo, so it just goes across really well. Yeah. Um, but, again, there's talking in the fade-out. Yeah. Right at the very end. It's just sort of past me as another drink kind of thing. Yeah, so I, I boosted it up in, in my programs, what I've got, so I actually get exactly what it is. And there's two voices you hear in the mm. fade-out. And one on one side, you can hear Ringo saying, I'll just have another drink, barman. Have you got a large brandy? Mm. And on the other side, I presume it's going to be Harry Nilsson mm. saying, "I'll have, the, I'll have the same. Just put mine in the boot." Mm. I mean, I presume he's saying boot. It sort of cuts off totally at that point, no matter how much I boosted it up there. But <coughs> yes, there's a little comedy outro there, which will yes. make sense when we talk about the lyrics, which also contributes to its production score, which I gave it eighty-three point five. Mm. So let's go into lyrics then. Um, so it's more interesting knowing this was written for Ringo. Because yeah. when I I didn't I I just when I looked up the lyrics it was the first time I saw written by underneath them and thought oh it's not a Ringo penned one, but it, it's kind of because I was interested in all I'm guessing is going to be the irony of the song or is it or was he genuinely on a on a kick to 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 give this stuff up at the time? Or no, he, right. No. So we've we've talked about Ringo's seventies being one of excess, and it and it mm. definitely was. You know, it's. Ringo's memory of those years is very, very hazy indeed. Yeah. Um, and that's because he did most of these things that this song is talking about. Yes. So it is ironic at this point. What right. is interesting about this, though, is that Ringo and the his, his all-star band, mm. basically when Ringo gets clean in the late 80s um, and in the years after that, he plays this song all the time. <laughs> So the meaning has changed now. It actually is. Yeah, yeah. When he does it now, he does it because it's a fun song to do. Yeah. And also it actually is about him beating these demons. Yeah. So it's now got two meanings for Ringo. You know, it's, mm. it's a thing that he did in the past at a time when he was doing all this stuff and it was a sort of a joke. Yeah. And now it's like, well, yeah, this is true. Oh, well, that's, what, that's what I wanted to know. Yeah. You've done your job. Ta. Um... Yeah, because it was in 76, wasn't it? It's like, well, I kind of, I just thought he was wasted for all of this decade. Because in the song, it, it, basically, he gets offered weed, he gets offered coke, and he gets offered booze around the world. 
And he says no, because he's given all that kind of thing up. Yeah. All of these things make him sneeze, apparently. They make him sneeze, yeah. It doesn't quite... <laughs> it's, they don't start with the cocaine verse, do they? So when it, when the marijuana makes him sneeze, you think, well, oh, that's a strange thing. I suppose that it can make you sneeze, the smoke. But then you do the... The booze verse, actually, is funny because some people do sneeze with alcohol as well. Um mm. <laughs> and will sneeze really violently after the first couple of sips. Clearly the body going, what are you doing again? Yeah. Well, it's um, essentially a poison, isn't it? So I guess it's triggering your... Um, some sort your, of response, yeah. Yeah, your, your system. But yeah, it goes to Colombia, which yeah. he has to divide across these syllables. And he has um, some marijuana, ha-ha. Marijuana, to, ha-ha. So extra syllables there to finish off the tune. Um which is always quite amusing. Yeah, I said, no, I don't sniff it no more. But instead of saying sniff, he just does a little sniff, doesn't it? Very clever, very witty. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. And you, because it is ostensibly about giving up drugs, it's kind of all right as well. But it's just ditty lyrics. I've given it 74.5, which gives the song 78.5 overall. It should get bonus points for the line. It. Uh, <laughs> I'm tired of waking up on the floor. No, thank you, please. <laughs> I like no thank you please. No thank you please. Okay. I will say before okay. you move on. Yeah. We were talking about a couple of songs in this episode that have had um copyright claims put against them and this is one of them. Oh, okay. Well, so there was a while if, if you bought any a record with this song on, so one of Ringo's albums with this on, they had to credit it as the no no song with another title aside, alongside it called Skokian S K O K I A N. Okay. Uh, no one really knows why, except presumably it must be a copyright claim. So Skokian was a South African song from 1947, first released by, and you'll love the name of this band. Yeah. It was the African dance band of the Cold Storage Commission of Southern Rhodesia. Catchy. That is a snappy name, isn't it? Uh, but there was loads and loads of versions of the, of this song, Skokian. I presume I'm pr- pronouncing that completely wrong. Right. Um, like there's an English language version done by the a band called the Four Lads. I think we're Canadian, which is sort of quite, sort of, not very nice lyrics really when you right. think about it. But that the the brass break in the No No song is lifted directly from that. Okay. So at one point, and now the the lyrics, uh, sorry, the credits now seem to be just back to the yeah. Ringo title and the original writers. So I don't mm. know if they settled or something like that. But it's, yeah, it was, something happened with it. It's a song, this sort of throwaway, did have a copyright claim against it. And oh. when you actually hear the uh, the parts compared, they are the same. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah, good song. Let's move on. Next, Paul. Love Comes to Everyone. George Harrison. Love comes to everyone, Paul. Well, that's a nice thing to know, isn't it? Yeah. It is. It is a nice yeah. thing to know. Let's hope so, anyway. Mm. Um, this single didn't come to many people in their house, though, because it didn't chart. Oh. <laughs> so the, the love didn't come to this song. 
No, unfortunately not. So it comes out on the 27th of April, 1979. Um, this has got Soft-Hearted Hannah on the B-side. Oh, that's much so better it's on, Sorry. <laughs> it's on Dark Horse. It comes from the George Harrison, the eponymous album. Mm. Uh, recorded uh, in uh, sort of spring-summer 1978 at FP Shot, written by George, produced by George with Russ Teitelman. Mm. Quick run through the players. We have George on vocal and guitar, Neil Larson on electric piano and organ, Steve Winwood on the mini moog and backing vocals, Willie mm-hmm. Weeks on bass, Andy Newmark on drums, good old Ray Cooper on percussion, mm-hmm. and the guitar in the in- just in the introduction, and it's very obvious that it's him as well, yeah. is Eric Clapton. Oh, uh, yeah. So just literally in the first few bars of it, you have a little mini guitar solo, uh, a couple of guitar licks rather, and that's mm. so clearly Eric Clapton. I don't know why he's not in the rest of it, but um, the rest what? of it is George. And uh, yeah. yes, it is. Uh, it's a. Uh, I mean, I say this, and I don't necessarily mean this in a bad way. This yeah. is about as middle of the road as George's stuff ever gets. Yeah. In terms of adult, what they call adult-oriented rock or middle-of-the-road stuff. Yeah. And I think possibly it was a few years too early because a lot of the charts for this type of thing, a few years later, everything sounded like this. Right. Um, and But this doesn't chart, so I don't know. You know. Ooh. It's strange when they just don't chart at all. You just think there'd be enough residual people out there that they'd still for, get, you know, residual. For a Beatle. For a Beatle, record. yeah. Just a, you know... But you've got to think what, it, what it's up against in 1979. You know, the pop charts have turned towards punk and new wave. So. Yeah, this is quite, I guess, yeah, not really, yeah, of the moment. If it had been six years later, this probably would have charted. By right. which, but by which time, George has moved on to other stuff. So, Yeah. I do always fear a little when I see DNC next to the song name in the charts. It's like, oh, mm. poor George. Yeah, he, he had a few clangers, I think, as far as... Not really hitting, and as I say, soft-hearted Hannah's brilliant, and it's it would for me the much better song, mm-hmm. um, and it does rather put me on the back foot when I'm listening, because f- I'm kind of listening for what went wrong. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. It is it is a strange thing to know that something wasn't yeah gonna wasn't a hit but, at the time, but I do think it is odd that this wasn't a hit. It's uh, I'm, I'm, I find it odd that it wasn't a, a hit, but only for the sake of other people. It wouldn't have been a hit for me if I'd have been around. No back then or you know or if this had been around now i, I, I will I, say as well um the single version which it isn't available on streaming mm. is three minutes and 35 seconds compared to the sort of uh, over four minutes that the album version is which is what you'll have listened to and okay. i've listened to mainly i did find someone to put the single version on youtube like mm. uh, so i've made a comparison of where it changes and i'll, I'll mention that later okay you do that but um i think one of the problems with this because it presents as a middle-of-the-road cheesy love song, as we've just said. But I don't think it, it has a middle-of-the-road cheesy melody or chord pattern because it's George. And unlike mm. Mackie, for example, George can't commit to a conventional chord pattern, or at least not very often. And if he does, not for very long. And although yeah. this feels like it's quite conventional, the bit that is the bit that is conventional and kind of the chord round goes round fine and nothing is out of place is, isn't very interesting and not very memorable. And then when it does move, it moves to a strange Georgie kind of place where you couldn't easily sing along to it unless you've got it set in your mind where that that chord is going to go first. And it's not, because it's not a natural change as usual. Yeah. So it kind of, it's at odds with itself. If I wanted to be middle of the road, it probably should have kept its 
its actual... Should have stayed in its lane. It should have stayed in this lane. It should have stayed in the middle of the road, whereas at one point George kind of just swerves off a bit. He liked driving cars fast. He was shot around the bend at a funny yeah. angle. But George, he has this, this amazing ability to do this and work in these keys that don't... These, these kind of changes that don't make sense to a lot of people, but then make them work. But sometimes it just sounds like he's just throwing a random chord in because he didn't want to move to the obvious one. And I think that's happening in this. And the bit that isn't isn't very interesting. So, and also we have—is it a synth sax solo? There's something. There's a weedy sax solo in there. Right. Sounds well, like... you've got a guitar solo in it yeah. to start with, and the guitar sound of the solo within the body of the song. Once mm. Clapton's cleared off. Right. Yeah. Uh, George's guitar is very what I'd call solid state. So we're talking about the seventies, and amplifiers are moving from tube amps to solid state circuitry, right, and they yeah. have a particular sound. And yeah. in fact, I'll tell you what George says about this in I Me Mine now. Set, strap in, because this is a long one, all of f- four lines, two sentences. Mm-hmm. Uh, Love comes to everyone. I started in the autumn of 77 and wrote the lyrics in Hawaii in February 1978. The tune was inspired by the guitar effect called Roland. So what I think he's referring to there what's, is the, the Roland chorus effect on an amp. Mm. Uh, and he just says, the lyrics are very optimistic, and that's all he says about it. All right. Uh, <laughs> But so you have this weird sort of fizzy, slightly odd, slightly chorused guitar sound, oh, is it a and then guitar, the synth, then? and then no, then the synth takes over. Uh. But the Moog seems to have been set up. The little mini Moog that Steve Winwood's playing seems to mm. have been set up to try and imitate that guitar sound. Right. So it comes off at this sort of weird wasp in a tin can sort of. Yes. S- sound doesn't sound very good. Um, and but I mean it's a production thing really, but it also just as a musical thing is like oh great now we get a horrible sax solo. But what would have happened if they'd have just done a pure like seventy yeah, it would sax, have been sax just solo? As bad. Yeah, at least the synth is something <laughs> curious. Yeah, he sings it nicely enough as well. It's just not that memorable a thing. And the the main hook "Love Comes to Everyone" is a bit wet. It's, Love comes. Dun, 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 dun. It's just not very great. The bass is trying to push it along, and there's lots of nice little guitar bits here and there, but they're kind of pinned a lot to that weird chord change. It's not the best, and I can see why it didn't work. So I've given it 61.5 for music. Ooh, poor George. Poor George. Production. I mean, one thing, straight off with the production, it comes in really loud. It's one of those ones where everything I'd listened to up to this point was fine, and then I put this on, and I was like, ah, I have to turn it down a bit, (laughs) which might have just been whatever mix I've gone for. But even if it's not loud volume-wise, I think... It's all this, a bit one one level, yeah. isn't it, throughout? It, with the cheesy instrumentation and the, and that horrible sax solo, I, you know, I think it's, um, yeah, it's got a bit of a... Yeah, it's a bit bland production-wise. It's going for this bright, easy-listening vibe, and it's a bit trebly and chimey apart from that big, thick bass, which is okay. But I don't particularly like that sound of that middle-of-the-road. You know... It, Hell it's to very me is, M-O-R. Hell to yeah. me is, is, is simply red, you know, that kind of thing. I can't, <laughs> it just it makes me, you know, and this is a bit like that. So I don't really like what they were, so even if they were to, to achieve it, it wouldn't have been something I'd have gone, oh, great. But um, although I would have probably given it more points. Um, I've just given it 68 for production. The thing, one of the things that I think makes it a bit of a, an interest, well, interesting slash odd vibe mm. is that during the verse, so a normal... A normal rock song, you expect the, the drum kit to be hitting the snare on the two and the four. Mm. So like one, two, three, four, one, mm. like that, which gives it the sort of 
solid core driving yeah. it. Now, we obviously, we've got a drum kit in this, <coughs> played by the brilliant Andy Newmark. But instead of the snare, he's hitting the high tom on the two and the low tom on the four, and mm. they're panned across the speakers. Yeah. So you're getting one boom to boom, one doom to boo, which is... A, creates a bit of a weird effect and there's no mm. grounding sort of snare at any point it doesn't kick in at any point this stuff right not that every song has to but he's i think it's that, just part of the weird production yeah he's done that before there's another song where we yeah was, yeah we've we had like, him where he's, he's had stuff gone yeah. it was like really which weird is good decision. because at least he was trying stuff i mean you know i know but there's some certain things like just a snare hitting this like you say the two and the four it's just like well it just signals we're, we're away we're off. And we're off. Uh, so, yeah, 68 for production. Sorry, so, I'm excited. L- lyrics then. Um, some fairly conventional George Love lyrics. A little on the vague side for George. Not so poetic as he can be, or as profound as he can be either. He has a little mention of the weather, as we all know he likes. Um, yeah. It all comes, it never rains, but it pours. You know, The first line has really got to go through that door. So this is our second door-based song here. So he's like, go through oh, that yeah. door. And when he gets through the door, they're at McCartney's party. Yeah. And he was like, did you hear me creaking the door open? And I brought this snare player with me. Yeah. George Although, is like, well, I'm not going to that party. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, a God, it's a God song. Yeah. But it's, it's not. It's it's yeah. one of his ones. It's it's essentially the George message that happens so often. It's It's couched in sort of seemingly romantic love terms but actually really it's it's left to the point of like finding god again yeah which is nothing wrong with that you know no and, it's just that the, it's not the love his... comes to everyone idea you know it's I, I, you know if it is indeed true that love comes to everyone that's a very nice message but when i'm now holding this up against all the other lyrics because he's done so many like this and some better some worse um it comes in at about 59.5 for lyrics um mm, right. just in a kind of like well there's george ones slightly above that which are the same message, but a bit more poetic, and you know, yeah, yeah just just under sixty for lyrics. So it gives a sixty-three overall. I mean, he does just say like a, in like an I mean mine. The lyrics are very optimistic, which is nice. Uh, the difference between the synth version and the uh, synth version. Shut up, Abbott. The difference single. between the single version and the album version is that the single version starts to fade at three minutes twenty-two through the synth solo. The album version carries on with. Um, another guitar solo and then an outro in the synth where he's saying there in your heart, something that's never changing, always a part of something that's never aging. It's in your heart and help me Lord. So that's, that's sort of the extra bit at the end that's on the album version, which is the one you'll hear now if you listen on streaming. Right then. I've got all that straight. Let's go on to the next song, Paul. Sea moon wings. Sea moon. Sea moon. I can't see the moon. I've got the curtains closed. Uh-huh. Okay. Right. Okay. Should we move on from that? Yes, just, just carry on. <laughs> okay, right. So we have covered high, high, high in the past. 
Yes. And this is the double A side with high, high, high. It's a double A side, is it? It's a double A side. And in fact, this got slightly more airplay because high, high, high got banned. Yeah, because of its drugs. Yeah. And And body gun slash polygons. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, 1st of December 1972 on Apple. Gets to number five in the charts. Stays in the charts for 13 weeks. Recorded at Morgan Studios on the 2nd, 4th and 5th of September 1972 with overdubs on the 14th of October and 7th of November at Abbey Road. I love the level of detail you can get into with this stuff. Like Ringo stuff, it's like recorded sometime between January and now. Yeah. (laughs) McCartney, it's like he was there at 3.38pm till Mm. blah, blah, blah. Uh, Written by Paul and Linda, produced by Paul. It's... Possibly the most throwaway song to ever be a, an A-side, albeit mm. a double A. Yeah. Um, again, I'd say very well known, but talking about songs done in a style with a sort of semi-accenty yeah. sort of singing on it. Uh, the really interesting thing I think here is there's a lot... Of, it's a bit of a, a mess around in the studio thing, a bit of a swap your instruments round yeah. job. Right. Because you've got Paul on vocals, piano, playing the cornet and doing his hand claps. Presumably they're all doing hand claps. Linda on, you know, a bit of backing vocals, probably the tambourine. Denny on bass and vocals. So then Denny Sywell, who's normally on the drums, Mm. playing the xylophone and also playing the cornet as well. So actually brass parts have been between Paul and Denny Sywell. And then Henry McCulloch, who's normally the guitarist at this point, playing the drums. Ah, that makes some sense then. (laughs) <laughs> and then you have some extra backing vocals from young Heather and Mary McCartney. Yeah. Which for years I thought was actually just a speeded up voice of Paul, but actually it turns out to be children. Ah, uh, okay. Fair enough. It's a, this is one I'd, I'd never heard, but I've heard of. Oh, really? I, I'd heard... Th- I would have been able to tell you that Sea Moon was something to do with McCartney, but yeah. I, I, I can't think that I'd actually ever heard it. And so it's well, like, that's yeah. weird. Yeah, maybe I have. Maybe he's, does he play this one live sometimes? Yeah, sometimes. <sighs> I don't know. I, anyway, um, but yeah, it, like you say about it being a throwaway double A side, because I thought it was a B side. It has the feel of a demo plus, which yeah, is a, a kind I of a production note I thought. But actually, come to think of it, part of that is that like whoever's playing the drums has found something that they can do and stick with it all the way through, and <laughs> therefore doesn't kick in and. Also, it's recorded in a way that sounds a little bit less proper. But, um, and obviously you get that big kind of intro, which is very kind of rough and ready. They're kind of messing about and he's having a laugh. He's like, should I have started, basically? It's just a bit of a laugh. And they're just, so you get this feeling of, oh, it's a bit of a session that they've recorded and go, oh, that's quite good. Let's just keep it as it is. But then when we get into it, do have a cool little melody, kind of catchy and memorable. And I like the, the, the B section with some kind of signature McCartney descending bass kind of core and chords kind of patterns going down you know there's a there's some nice bits in there there's a bit of a like let them in coming out this week as well is interesting because yeah they're both two songs where there's sort of basically here's two sections yeah and it's always exciting when it changes from one to the other yeah because the of my issue with this is the length a bit like four minutes 36 yeah which is opposite and it feels it exactly i felt all of the four and a half minutes of this unlike let them in where I didn't feel it and I, I thought I was going to. Although I do like all the little bits that counterpoint the melody in the straight, uh, you know, in the strange little instrument, which is these cornets and stuff going on. This doesn't do the just same job as let me in and keeping you interested throughout. But it's fun and catchy. I kind of wish it sounded less demo-y. 
Uh, yeah, know, I think that's the thing. In my mind, I've known this a long time, mm. and I like to sit and play this at the piano sometimes because it's a bit fun little pattern of chords. Yeah, like moving from a like a C major to an E major is a is, is a funny way to move from around. Um, so it's fun, but it never sounds as good when I listen to it closely as it does in my head. Yeah, it, it's a shame that it didn't get it didn't get its dues. Didn't get its dues. Seventy eight point five. Oh blimey, it's still doing all right then. Yeah, it's still <laughs> yeah. good. Yes, I like it. I mean, it. I like the chords. There's some there's some weird odds and sods. I like the sort of the, yeah, the fun to it at least comes across to some extent. I think but yeah, it doesn't quite sustain over four and a half minutes. No. Production wise, um so I didn't know how to what so even though I've just said that about production, I'm gonna kinda of contradict myself here because I don't know whether to score it up or down for production because of the demo sound. I don't like the constant drum beat shuffling along that never seems to get going and means that the song never feels like it gets going. However, you get the xylophone and the delay horn sounds doing funny little bits here and there. And along with the backing vocals, that all sounds really nice in places. That's some really nice bits. Yeah. But it does also feel a bit slapped together. But well, the piano a- sound is dreadful on it. Yeah. You know, it does sound like we haven't had time to set... We've just set it up for a demo, like you say. That's yeah. what it sounds like to me. And then... And it's also awash with some bizarre sort of timed phasing effect on the vocals. Mm. So there's a whoa, 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 whoa. But at least they're in time with the song, so. Yeah. But it's it's a funny one because it it has got something to talk about production-wise. But it does feel a bit slapped together in places. But it's got a character of its own. Yeah. Hand claps it's, are terrible in places. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and, I think they added all those on afterwards. Like, well, this song needs something. I add hand claps and it's like, well, we haven't done them very well. No. Yeah. And also, it does go a bit Thomas the Tank Engine again. Yay! Doesn't quite do that, but it's it's there's a bit that it's stuck. I know what you mean. Go off in that way. Tricky. I've actually scored it seventy eight for production, which is probably a bit too high. But um, I, I, well, I'll let you off if you say that some of those points are because they made a video for it, and it's a video that does feature the McCartney Mega Mullet. Oh, I haven't seen that. No. Oh, it's his hair's brilliant at that point. I mean, he's got several different types of mullets, but this is there's a mega mullet in the video for this. So, excellent. I'll go and check out the mega mullet. Um, right, lyrics then. Check it out. Check it out. So I had to look this one up because I was like, oh, well, okay, well, we'll see moon. Then I don't know what that means. Um, so, as I understand it, shall I tell it or do you want to tell it? You tell it as you understand it. As I understand it from what I read, is that sea moon means cool because if you put a C and the crescent moon together, it's a circle. And therefore, yeah. the opposite of an L7, which makes a square, if you put an L and a number 7 next to each other, they can make a kind of a square. And therefore, some people used L7 as shorthand for like, your L7, like your square, because you can hold your hands up and make an L7 type of shape. And he's like, well, well I'm a C moon, because I've got a C in one hand and a, and a moon in the other. <laughs> Uh, which seems like a very convoluted system. Dynamite for... weed! <laughs> yeah, it's making perfect sense. It seems like a very convoluted system for ascribing coolness or otherwise. But that's generally it, isn't it? That's what the sea moon... Yeah, is. so L7 is is this sort of supposedly sort of 50s sort of slang. Mm. And he's just decided somehow to come up with, oh, it's the opposite of a thing with... I don't know, it's just like... Well, that's got square edges, so we need something that's round because opposite of square is... is I don't know. The opposite of a triangle is Tuesday. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's 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 kind of the, the logic in his head does feel a bit um, inspired, perhaps by other 
of a means. Yeah, and then he's sort of like, let's do it in a reggae style because I've been relaxing on a Jamaican island and uh, yeah. uh, my method of relaxing may have influenced, like, yeah, what's the opposite of L7? Uh, the moon. The moon. And a letter. Yeah. And then the rest is all a bit like, random. Bobby lived with Patty, never told her daddy. And it literally ends in the line, which is always a telltale with, with Paul McCartney. He always gives you a subtle little clue when lyrics aren't really heading anywhere, which is, what's it all about? Yeah. <laughs> it's got the line in it. What, what, well, the weird it thing is, is, it's like I've gone to the paulmccartney.com website to check the lyrics out. Because in that section, Bobby lived with Patty or Paddy or whatever, but they never told her daddy what their love was all about. She could tell her lover that he thought, but she never was the type to let it out. It's just, it becomes like... It's just words. Yeah. It's, it's like Charlie says that bit. Yeah. What's it all about? What's it all about? Yeah. It's like, um, it's like the, um, simply having a wonderful Christmas time, which tends to, and that's enough. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I like the never get to heaven if I fill my head with glue bit, but again, it's completely disconnected from anything. Nothing is tying together. I, lyrically, it's a bit random. The scene moon is a nice title, but it needs a lot of weird explanation that doesn't really work unless A, you know that the moon in question is a crescent. B, you know that that crescent moon is facing a, the sea, and that's why you, you're representing it. And C, for some reason, so you then think... It's something that's, that's affected by the hemisphere of the Earth that you're on. Yeah. And then for some reason, you think, oh, that means it's a circle, and therefore the opposite of a square. It, it, his logic has a lot of layers to go through. Um... And you don't live in Liverpool where L7 is a postcode. Yeah. So I've given it 61 for lyrics, which gives it 72.3 overall. <laughs> okay. Okay. Next then, and finally, My Sweet Lord, George Harrison. My sweet Lord, Paul. My sweet Lord, Gary. It's amazing that this has taken so long to come out, mm. um, given its heavy hitter status. And I'm pretty sure people have been thinking, oh, wonder when that's going to turn up. Mm. Um, and here it is, George's My Sweet Lord, uh, released on the 15th of January 1971 with What Is Life on the B-side. It gets to, what's that, number one? Number um, one, eh? 17 weeks in the chart, five of them at the top of the charts comes from the All Things Must Pass sessions and album recorded on the 28th of May 1970 at Abbey Road Studios, EMI. Mm. Overdubs from July onwards, strings overdubbed on the 18th of September uh, and uh, at Trident, I think. And I've, well, I've, written 18, I've written 18th of September 18, 1978 in my notes, which is definitely not right. Okay. Um, but obviously written by George, produced by George and Phil Spector. Right. Uh, the Spectre of Spectre. Mm. And the players are George Harrison on vocals, all vocals and guitars. Oh, they're all George, are they? Or it's, well, sorry. George Harrison on lead vocals, backing vocals by the George O'Hara Smith singers. Right. Which is George. Which is just George. Okay. Yeah. And then normally in my list of, of 
players on a track, I have the, the names down one side and the instruments down the other. On this mm. one, I've just got, instead of the names, I've got acoustic guitars as the main bracket because there's so many acoustic guitars on this. Yeah. But basically, you've got George, you've got Pete Ham and Eric Clapton and Joey Molland and Peter Frampton all on acoustic guitars. Right. So that's like Badfinger sort of playing alongside. Uh, Gary Brooker on piano, Bobby Whitlock on the harmonium, Klaus on bass, Ringo on drums, although there's some dispute over whether it's him or Alan White, but I believe it's Ringo on drums. Okay. Which puts Alan White on the tambourine, or tambourines, mm. because Spectre's involved, and you don't just have one tambourine on a Phil Spectre production. No. Uh, then someone playing the auto harp, or zither, uh, which yeah. probably George. And then you've got a string arrangement of eight violins, eight viola, four celli, and two double bass. Okay. So many acoustic guitars and all sorts of other bits. Okay. So I know this one. (laughs) But I can't say I've spent lots of time listening to it specifically because it's just one of those songs that appears on things. Yes, and it's very well known. You hear it, you know, you don't have to look for it. It just pops up here and there. But... um. Yeah, it has that kind of intro where the song feels already, kind of already in full swing. It's not all the instrumentation isn't there, but it it kind of starts because of the nature of the chords. Like you told it, like like you're kind of coming in halfway through. Um, You just start singing, "My Lord," like you should already know what's going on. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't prefix it with kind of like something something about "My Lord." He just kind of after lots of strumming and guitars building up he kind of starts going my lord like like oh okay we're in a song and having said that even though it feels like it's halfway through or it's kind of it doesn't have an intro as such it is nearly two minutes before drums and bass join this whole What's that? yeah i like that because of it's what i think makes the song a success mm. is and george says this in i in i me mine so there's quite a big entry for my sweet lord and mm. You know, you could dedicate a, an entire podcast series to just this song, I think. Hmm. Um, George says, one of the things he says is, I thought My Sweet Lord was a good record. <laughs> In the recording industry, there are songs and records. Anyway, I thought the overall sound of the record was important as the words or tune, the atmosphere, really. And hmm. I think he's sort of spent a lot of time focusing on on the layering up and the building yeah. and not giving everything away too quickly. Yeah. No, and I don't mind the, the, the yeah. delay. Yeah. So I think that's just that's the cleverness of it because it would have been tempting to just get full gospel straight away. Yeah, and he doesn't. He he lets it to get sort there. of wash over you till you're sort of surrounded by it. Yeah, and I, I no, I like that. And am I right in saying it kind of has a key change when at the point where things do kick in? Is it a key change or is it just? Does it it's have a key not. Change? It's not. It feels a key like ch- one though, doesn't it? It's just. It's just that it shifts to the, the yeah. different chord and he and because he introduces. The bass and drums at a certain point, it feels like you're going somewhere. Yeah, it does. It's kind of seamless and it makes it feel like the song is winding itself up and getting going, which it is, kind of building in kind of the, the uh, arrangement and layering. But I thought also in key, but I wasn't quite sure. But it's just that it, it goes round around, but like these second lot of chords, which kind of bring it back to the first lot as if you've arrived somewhere different than you started, which is kind of cool. Which leads us also to George's great guitar breaks, which bend around like they're melting in and out of the music. Um, yeah, it's strange. It's the thing about these chords and the melody feel like they keep moving and resolving to a new high. 
it, fe- it just keeps me feeling like it's, I suppose it's an ascendant feel, does it? Which is exactly what you, know you was what, after. You know what, Gary? It does. Yeah. It does change key at a certain point. Yeah, I think, but it shifts. I, I think it shifts back. Does back it? again, no. but that shifting back moves, makes you yeah. feel like you're moving again. It keeps you moving and in perpetual motion. Yeah, it's a sort of tonal uh, tone shift up and and stuff. It, yeah, it, it it does something to you, kind of. Order, you know. But it doesn't go anywhere nuts. It doesn't go George nuts, does it? It's not no, like you no, suddenly no, start no. sewing in diminished chords and well, I mean, I think there is one in there somewhere, but like ones you wouldn't expect. Yeah, I like it. Um, and and it kind of and the way that after it's done a round of all these chords, it kind of gets stuck in not not in a bad way in a, in a rut between the two chords. You know, it keeps it goes back to that just the two chords, two chords, duh, 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 back from one to the one to the other, and then that seems to go on and always a bit longer than you think it's going to before it moves on to the uh, duh, 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 and then you're onto the next bit, and then it, and the outro quite literally is just the, those two chords again. It ends like it starts with quite a long kind of build of those two chords or or, or, or winding down in that case, but yeah, um, and and whilst. That's happening. These backing vocals kind of that start to join is offer up a variety of religious and spiritual chants to kind of build around it as well. Yeah. It's I mean, it's a great song. I mean, what we have to do, I know we've spoken about this before, because we've spoken about this song, which deals with the subject a lot. Yeah, much more obviously intentionally than this does, because it this doesn't you wouldn't have known that when he was doing this, is that we have to talk a bit about the elephant in the room musically, don't we, Paul? Because there's an elephant in the room and it's it's only a small Phil, room. Is it Phil Spector? <laughs> no. No. But the elephant in the room, as you know, is he's so, he's so fine by the chiffons. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, this could be a whole episode yeah. to itself. I was talking about songs with copyright claims. And I, I won't go too much into it because, no. yes, if you listen to He's So Fine as performed by the chiffons, it, the melody is very, very similar. In places. Yeah. In places. And, it's not the whole you know, thing. The, the, the court case ends up being found in the favour of Bright Tunes, the copyright owners of He's So Fine. Mm. Um, but as a result of unconscious plagiarism, which is a, a whole... I mean, you have to... There's all sorts of legalese and there's all sorts of music theory that goes into into all that side of studying it. Mm. I mean... Yeah, it's just it's 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 too hard to talk about that stuff because it's, yeah, you can't. You've got to kind of put it aside. George basically says, "My inspiration was Oh Happy Day." Yeah, Oh, oh Happy you know, Day. I'm not gonna sing it. Yeah, because it's the by the Edwin of, Hawkins singers. Yeah. And then, but the first person that releases this song isn't George; it's Billy Preston. So he builds and works this song up with Billy Preston. Okay, I didn't know before that. he does his version for All, All Things Must Pass. Oh, okay. Um, and the the great thing for the Billy Preston version is he gets the Edwin Hawkins singers on it, I believe. Um, so there's all sorts of development of this song, and if yeah. you hear, you know, there's early takes and demos available to listen to now. Mm. I mean, yes, I think if you were the writers or the copyright owner, as it were, of he's so fine, you would be mad not to have taken him to court. Yeah, yeah, uh, but. The rest of it is is too much else to talk about, really. So yeah, I I, I my my only thing I was going to say is I, I went and had a good listen to to He's So Fine, and it's similar but hardly the same in its entirety. You know, yeah, mm. there's, there's a there's a there's a there's a strong correlation between the melody in one section of it. It doesn't go to the same place, and I can't imagine George sat there sniggering to himself as he copied the melody a little bit and thought he'd get away with it. 
yeah. at best like they ruled in the end it would have been unconscious plagiarism not realizing he was doing it and most likely it's just that those chords and that melody kind of click together as a songwriter and unless you're a robot with total recall of everything you've ever heard you probably wouldn't even realize yeah and and i would also posit that george's song very significantly from it in in that the way it, where it moves to and the tempo and the feel and isn't really trying to supplant it it can the two can coexist in the same universe and yeah and it's very know. hard to argue in a sort of court of law about music things like this because ultimately what it comes down to as sort of george has talked about and he wrote you know this song about it as well yeah. is you have 12 notes and so people are like well if you reduce it down to this this does this this motif goes here yeah da, 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 and yours goes da, 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 and you basically have to say yes it does yeah, yeah. but that doesn't take into account things like uh, uh, intention doesn't take into account production texture it doesn't take into account all yeah. the other things that make actually particularly as george says a record rather than just a song yeah, exactly. and I think that's important to keep in mind as well because this is is almost, ironically, for a song that's been found guilty of plagiarism, um, is almost is a unique song. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's, that's the thing. That's what I think is the very different thing about it. It's like, well, you wouldn't have wanted this song not to existed because of that. Um, and if someone was in the room at the time and they'd said, you know what, I think this sounds a bit like he's so fine by the chiffons and and. I mean, now you would go, people, well, people well, we'll just acknowledge thought, that then. Let's just acknowledge it and say, okay, you know, we'll put it well, in. Well, now you would go and seek permission rather yeah. than hope to not have or to seek forgiveness. think, like, what bit could I change enough? But it's, it would have been a shame for the world for that to have happened. So, you know. Yeah, totally. Anyway, yeah. I'm going to give it 88 for music. I mean, imagine this, though. George wasn't sure about releasing this as a single. <laughs> yeah, we've just covered the one that he did release as a single yeah a few years later but he thought because this was his first grand statement about god yeah uh, okay you know and he thought well this will this put people off maybe i'll just leave it on the album but he gets sort of convinced to put it out and rightly so because yeah i mean so much about it is good yeah it, it rightfully has a, a has a legacy because his voice on it is amazing yeah he it's sings just, it really well it's it's it's, it's, it's really yeah. and like i've talked about his voice is lost in so much of the material he puts out and this is just something else it's interesting about you saying him doing the backing because I I was I thought there was a bit of maybe even a bit of John in there or something, but I think it's because of the Beatles sound that he gets, you know, rather yeah, it's because he's it's such just a part him. of the Beatles sound. Yeah. So let's go on to production. I gave it eighty-eight for music production. Um, it also sounds a bit like a Lennon record, apart from the fact that it sounds a bit like he's singing in it, but it's not. It's George. It sounds. It has a. It doesn't sound like a George, like a Harris song, as if you know. It sounds like a. I don't know. It has that? I guess because well, it's, it's such better, a isn't it? it's such a step up from his Beatles work. Not step yeah. up, a step away from. Yeah. Because that this is this is a song that the Beatles wouldn't have done. No. At all. No, this would, they think. wouldn't have touched this one. I don't think. It's no, too, and yet too hyper George in some ways. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, not in other ways. You know. Um, which I think is what's fascinating about the period that it comes out in so early after the, the you know, the split. Mm. Um, it is amazing, and but the you know. It's a lot of what George has learned in the studio has enabled him to make this. He knows how to use his, you know, the tracks available to him to to do what he wants to do carefully. And he's got, he's such a good vocalist from years of being a vocalist in the best vocal band <laughs> there's ever been. Yeah, yeah. That he knows how to go in on his own and layer up and layer up and layer up voices to make this mm. sound he wants. 
It's, am- it's amazing, really, that it's all him. I didn't know it was all him. Yeah. So it's him. it's obviously they do stuff like they slow the tape down so he can do the high stuff. Yeah. Which, if you hear it in isolation, will sound like Mickey Mouse. Yeah. But actually, as part of the wash of the voices, sounds absolutely fine. I did that on a song the other day because of because of this. I was oh, thinking, yeah. oh, it's a bit high for me, that backing bit. I, I, I can just press a button now and it can all be slowed down. In And um, and, I, and I won't vary the... I'll let the pitch vary so it will yeah. go down. And Yeah, I thought, oh, mm, I'm a bit like the Beatles. Oh, um, yeah, you are, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, but yeah, um, we have all these bright sounds working lovely over the acoustics. I, I mean, Spectre aside, I, I like the production on this. Um, I quite do as well. I mean, Spectre wasn't there all the time. That's no. something to keep in mind. This is a George George feel, is driving this, you know, isn't it? Yeah. Thing. Although it was a case that, you know, years later they come to remix it and, and they sort of listen back to it, George and his engineers, and they're like, how much reverb did we put on this? This is yeah. insane. And so they've remixed this several times yeah. in the late 20th and 21st century to the point where they've now... Well, they've, they've remastered it several times and they've remixed it a couple of times, especially for yeah. the 50th anniversary edition where they've pulled out almost all trace of Spectre on it now. Yeah. But it still so sounds I, great. You mentioned this to me, and I'd, I'd listened to the most recent remix, and then you said you might want to listen to one of the earlier ones. I went back as far as a 2009 remix. Yeah. Um, and then I, I was thinking, well, I'll, I'll just base it on that. But yeah, the organ is ambient and ethereal in the background. Um, harmonium, not organ. Harmonium. harmonium. There are drum strums on, I guess it's the zither, because I was going to say on the top strings of the guitar. Oh, 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 oh. What? Oh, he's still there. Gosh. I'm getting something. I was getting something. Sorry. Oh, you've auto, got, auto oh, you've got an auto harp. <laughs> right, this won't be the right chords and this might not be in tune. But, <laughs> yeah. Hang on. Well, hang on. Let me point the microphone at it. Uh, <coughs> oh, it's way out of tune. Oh, lovely. The effect. You just do it. It's like being the there. It takes about a year to tune this thing. Oh, it's not but too the, bad. Yeah, the point is that's the sort of sound. So he, he that's the he piano of, strings. I thought it was scraping yeah, over. Yeah, he sort of enhances over, the chord changes with those. Yeah, it's a bit like when you do the top strings above the um, the neck of a guitar. Oh, yes, very trebly and bright. Yes, very nice. There we go. I didn't get the guitar out. I got the auto harp out this yes, time. Yes, yes, which the, definitely the, needs tuning. The very same auto harp we bought in. You bought well. I bought for you, but you. You know, because you weren't there. Yeah. From a shop in Wales. Yes, my Welsh auto. In car in Cardigan, in fact. I just remembered I had a memory. Um, yeah, so lots of nice sparkles. Um, I like the drummers and bass coming in late as a production choice as well as an arrangement choice. It actually works this time, unlike some of his other songs where he, he does very long build-ups, for it to build up so long, and they keep it levelled out with the strings and the backing building up. His guitars sound great in their little bendy way. It's not perfect production-wise. I think because no, no. it's Spectre, there's some busyness here and there which you could oh, well, like could do eight hundred tambourines or whatever on it, you know. But it has a really strong um, sense of purpose and 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 identity, and and his voice is sounding great, even though stuff is building around it, and his voices are sounding brilliant. So I've yeah, given it, it ninety-one for production, Paul. I think that's probably fair enough. Well, there we go then. I'll move on. Lyrics then. So, um, so if you take away the backing vocals, the lyrics are mostly just, my sweet Lord, I really want to see you, I really want to be with you, but it takes so long. 
Then we have the answers, which is the Hare Krishna mantra and some other peeps to do with all that. Yeah, um, so you've got he's got hallelujah in there, which is a sort of Christian word. Yeah, yeah. Or a word that is used in Christian sort of uh, liturgy and, and music and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but he has then also, yeah, got the uh, Hare Krishna stuff in it, and he goes through the names of, of various um, deities, Guru Brahma, Guru Vishnu, Guru Deva, etc., towards the end Mahishawara. as well. Mahish. Hare Rama and all that stuff. Well, so, Hare Rama's part of the Hare Krishna Yeah. Yeah, Mantra. but they're all names of different names of the Lord, essentially, or different aspects of gods mm. that are essentially all one as God, but different aspects of. I believe. I'm sure people will know much better than me. Mm. Um, so it does have that thing of like it sounds like a, a, a Christian spiritual gospel thing, but actually it is more Krishna based. Yeah, which is George. Through which and through. is George. Yeah. I, I have to admit, I use the Harry This is Krishna. George's totem, you know, this is yeah. his song. I use the Harry Krishna mantras to meditate sometimes because it does seem to have a form that allows your brain to kind of wander without being attached to words or meaning, which is kind of what mantras are there for. But yeah. also, I mean, you know, there's obviously a load of meaning to it, it, but it's actually just a good kind of Harry, you know, Harry Krishna, Harry Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Harry Harry, Harry Rama, Harry Rama, Rama Rama, Harry Harry. It's a good... It's a good. Seems like a good, powerful phrase to repeat if you're trying to just clear your head. But then, there's, yeah, Guru Sakshata Parabrahma. Oh, there's loads of stuff in there. It's great. Um, yeah, it epitomizes George's relationship with God. It's a very, very strong message. You know, like you say, with it being early on as well, he might have felt a bit kind of exposed by it. It's kind of longing in a way to be free of this world, of this life, for something bigger and different, but in a way that doesn't feel suicidal or glum, you know. Yeah, it but is. joyous I mean, and, and, and celebratory. You can put it into the context of the of his life, period in his life, you know, the breakup of, his, of the band, which he, you know, claimed to be happy about, but, you know, it's it was a huge thing in his life, the breakup of his sort of first relationship over the coming years, you know, at the time and at this, you know, mm. and sort of that, well, where do you find your solace for George? It was always the promise of the other world. Yeah. And this is how he's expressing it. And I hope that's what what happened for him. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's a strange one when you talk about, yeah, I really want to be with you, Lord, because if you, you can extrapolate from, from that, what you will. Yeah. Um, but um, it's, yeah, it's 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 great. Hence the hallelujahs, hallelujahs and whatnot. It's a celebratory feel to it. It's not a, it's not a dismal one. It's brief lyrically, but it combines with the music to amplify the meaning. So that's that's a very important thing. Um, and there's lots of interesting consonants and syllables in it because of all of the different Vishnu's and things. So I've given it eighty-seven point five for lyrics, Paul. Right. Which gives it eighty-eight point eight overall. That's an interesting eight, number, eight, isn't eight. it? 888? That's yeah. a CFAX page where you get your subtitles in the past. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> I'm sure it's lucky in some... in some. There's lots of eights lucky in some cultures anyway. Did you see last year the new video that was made for this song? No. Which was bonkers. So they got Lance Bangs to direct a video and basically... Lance Bangs? Yes, Lance Bangs has <laughs> made a lot of music videos. Okay. He is married to uh, Corinne Tucker from Sleater Kinney, one of the best bands in the world ever, ever, ever. Um, but basically yeah. he gets tons of people associated with George or 
mainly people who've been in American comedy things. Right. And it is Fred Armisen and... Um, yeah, who's in everything. <laughs> well, yeah, he, it is, basically. So, hang on, let's get the, get my list of names down. Yeah. So, basically, you've got an opening sequence where Mark Hamill, as the right. director of some unseen, unknown agency, sends out Fred Armisen and Vanessa Bayer, basically both of Saturday Night Live yeah. um, and more, to go and find do some investigating in some bookshop where a weird hole has opened up in some books. And this is where the music starts. And it doesn't bear... You know, I'm sure there's a, a, a reason behind this video. Yeah. I don't know. Because basically, when I think of George, I will think of people like Ringo. And now mm. Ringo does appear in this video, which is lovely. Mm. You know, he's briefly... So basically what happens is they do some investigating in one place. It leads them to a movie theatre where they're watching some footage of George. It's loads and loads of people. But you have... I know I'm just picking some random names. Mm. They drive past Jeff Lynn on the way there. Right. Understandably. Yeah. But yeah, the usher serving popcorn is Weird Al. Right. Which is is great. But you have people like, uh, who have we got on this list here? Uh, Rosanna Arquette. You've got John Hamm. <coughs> You've got Patton Oswalt. Yeah. Uh, Danny and Olivia Harrison are in it, obviously. Yeah. You have a section with Taika Waititi. Yeah. Tim and Eric. Um. Garfunkel and Oates. You have Lance Bangs and his family. Right. Um, comedians like Claudia O'Doherty and Paul Shear that I know from sort of listening to podcasts and, and mm. watching some American comedy, but George would never have seen in his life. Yeah. Um, and then you have lots of friends and family in the audience at this this theatre. It's very bizarre video. Ooh. It's it's um, it's yeah. mad. It's strange. It's, is, Eric, is, is Eric Idle in there at all? Nope. Yeah. Hmm. There's a big because they like they get these sets in 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 LA, don't you? Who? Hmm. They're not just. It's not just everyone famous knows everyone. Although they do kind of through kind of different networks, but you get networks of people. Yeah. Who will overlap with each other, certain parts of the music community and the the comedy community and stuff, don't you? So it sounds like whoever they could get along who kind of had a good word to say for George. Probably yeah, could, Reggie Watts is in there from yeah. you know comedy bang bang. You can start to draw all the lines between these people. I would have thought Natalie Palamides and uh, yeah, all sorts of folk in there. Um, yeah, it's the same. It's such a weird. It's such a, I think the you know yeah George obviously loved comedy, but this is a bit of an odd one. The best thing is you get to see Ringo. Yeah, and you have a brief moment of Ringo interacting with Fred Armisen. Fred Armisen's obviously also a drummer, so it's okay. uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's just very odd. Okay, great stuff. Well, I'll go and watch that after this. So, 88.8 overall. So, that's that for this week. So, shall we look at the charts, Paul? Oh, yes, let's. This is a bit of a long episode, but we were away last week. We were. <coughs> and I'm sorry for, for all the coughing. I've tried to mute as much of it as I can, but you'll have picked up on some, I'm sure. So, the non-charters are at number 77, George Harrison with Love Comes to Everyone. At number 61, Paul McCartney with Sea Moon. At number 33, the no-no song, Ringo Starr. And at number 22, Paul McCartney would let him in. So, you know, quite high would let him in, but didn't still, with the high score, not able to get in that top flight. So shall we look at the new top 10? Yes, please, yes, thank you, please. At number 10, Paul McCartney, loving song. At number 9, Paul McCartney, band on the run. At number 8, beautiful boys, Yoko Ono. At number 7, just like starting over, John Lennon. At number 6, mind games, John Lennon. At number five, Paul McCartney, Mull of Kintyre. 
At number four, My Sweet Lord, George Harrison. Mm. At number three, Paul McCartney, Another Day. At number two, Live and Let Die, Paul McCartney. And at number one, John Lennon, Imagine. So yeah. George has staked his claim to the top ten and got him yeah. at number four, which I think is fair enough. Mm, yes, definitely. I mean, it is the the George song, and yeah. you know, its reputation is, so. is, is well earned. Well, like I say, it's been a long episode. My throat hurts, so let's go. <laughs> we'll see you. Well, next week we're going to have a, a, a another funny little week because you're on holiday now. We keep on, yeah, we should we should have coordinated it. it. But, um. So we're going to have a, a little filler episode, which um, you'll hear about when you hear it at the normal time next week. But please do tune in because it'll be new content, new content. And then after that, two more of these and then end of series or some of a bit. But we'll be at the end of the chart anyway. That was all very comprehensive and clear, wasn't it? For someone who needs to stop talking, you're doing a lot of I talking. I know, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm panicking. Bye. Beatles! <laughs>